2-2 pitch. Swing and a drive in the right. Deep. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Gone for Grandal. And we are tied at eight apiece. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Gone. Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Let's start today with the fun stuff. We'll have plenty of time to, to talk about the Bucks game last night. Let's start with the fun stuff. Let's talk a little Brewers. There have been two games... Since we've talked last, since last night, they had the night game last night where the Brewers were shut out, three to nothing, and then the wet, weird, wild, five-hour-long afternoon contest between the Reds today. The Brewers won eleven to nine, less than twenty-four hours apart. These games could not have been more different. They're basically polar opposites. Last night, the Brewers getting shut out today, dropping eleven. Hell, four runs would have done the trick for the Brewers last night. They couldn't muster anything. Today, they give up nine and say, screw it, we'll win anyways. Uh, Hang 11 on the Reds. Baseball is weird. Baseball is wild. Because when you think about it, think about last night's game, the Reds scored three runs in the first inning. Three. And that was enough to win them the game and get Sonny Gray, who at the time was 0-4, got him his first win of the season. He moved to 1-4 last night, went six innings. Nine strikeouts, man. He was cruising. Reds got three runs in the first. That's all it took. That's all they needed. Well, then today, (laughs) the Reds sent out uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball right now in Luis Castillo. 2-3 ERA. He was 5-1 at the time. They score how many runs? They scored nine total runs in this game throughout the game. It's not like they they got hot early and cooled off or only scored late. Like This was a well-put-together offensive game by the Reds. They had one of their best uh, starting pitchers on the mound, one of the best in the majors. They score nine and they can't win. Less than 24 hours apart. Goes to show you uh, how baseball is weird, baseball is wild, and over the course of a 162-game regular season, you can have some really different, wild, wacky contests. That's for sure. Sometimes in back-to-back days, less than 24 hours apart. So the the Brewers split uh, the two games set with the Reds, sandwiched in between these off days. So the Brewers will have off tomorrow night, and we can really focus on the Bucks in, in what is undoubtedly the most important Bucks game of my lifetime. They'll head back to Milwaukee for Game 5, tied 2-2. Two to two. We'll have plenty of time to get to that. Plenty of time. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. The program is always presented by Play It Again Sports. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. I hope you're having an awesome night, uh, in, enjoying this beautiful day, enjoying a Brewers win, as wild and weird as it was. The, the double play, I, I'm still not exactly what happened. I was listening at the time, which didn't help, and then I'm trying to go back and watch replays and, and, and put what I thought happened with what actually happened and, and trying to figure out what happened, and, and we still don't know. We still have no idea. Uh, one of our awesome newsmen who joined the show last week, uh, Rick Solom over on Wisdom, WIZM, wrote a story on it earlier this afternoon. He popped his head in the studio uh, before the show today. He said, Grant, are you going to talk about the double play? And I said, Rick, I, I'm still confused as to what happened. I don't think I can talk about it because I'm going to sound like an idiot. And he's like, well, I wrote an article at it if you want to. He's like, I don't really know either. I wrote about it, posted it at WKTYsports.com and, of course, on all of our social media channels. So if you want to check that out and maybe 
figure out what exactly happened because I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not the guy to do it. I, I have no clue what happened either. But some weird plays, a weird replay, a weird rundown. It was just a weird, weird game. Brewers winning 11-9 to after getting shut out. And to be honest, shutting out the Reds between innings two through nine and, and not being able to get the win. But today, hey, 11 runs, no problem. Home runs from Moustakis, that home run you heard from Yasmani Grandal, which tied it in the sixth inning. Pretty wild that the Brewers fell behind as far as they did and came from behind to win in a day where Ryan Braun was out, where Christian Yelich was out. Wild. Sometimes you just can't predict these things. And I think today and last night, let's look at this two-game set as a whole, maybe as a lesson to us Brewers fans and to baseball fans as a whole, because we do come on here on the Wisco Sports, and we talk every day. No, we don't talk about the Brewers every day, but there's a game every day, so they're always on our mind. We're always having discussions, always trying to make arguments, be critical, be enthusiastic. We're always talking about the Brewers. And maybe it's a good reminder when you see two games back-to-back like this, which could not be further, they could not be more different, to say, all right, this this season's 162 games long. All right, this this season started back in April. It's going to go all the way through August and September. We got a long ways to go. We might just drive ourselves crazy over analyzing every single game. And I know it's fun. I know that's why I'm here. That's why you're listening to have these conversations about the Brewers. But man, if you can have two games like that back to back, I don't know. What do you want me to say? Brewers are 29 and 22. They're seven games over 500. They're in second place in the division, a very competitive division. And the Brewers had a tremendous, difficult opening couple of weeks and months of their schedule. Saw the Dodgers a lot. Saw the Cardinals a lot. Seen the Cubs a couple of times. Right? The Brewers have had to run somewhat of a gauntlet. And to come out and be in this position at seven games over 500 and in second place, I think you'll take that. So maybe we need to step back and look at the big picture. There's a lot of things going right for the Brewers right now. And in if you listen to the discussion, you, you read the tweets, you read the Facebook posts, you you talk at a sports bar, you'd think the Brewers were below 500. You'd think they were third or last in the division. That's not the case at all. There's seven games over 500, and I think outside of that, that hot start, have yet to play their best, most consistent form of Brewers baseball yet this year. It's a long season, long season. These two games can definitely just allow us to take a step back and say, you know what, the Brewers got some things going for them right now. Brandon Woodruff has been awesome. And he has been the best of those young starting pitchers, which a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, I never would have guessed. Davies has been fantastic up until today where he pitched poorly, but the offense bailed him out. Things have a, have a way of, of coming full circle. Davies has his first poor start of the year, and the Brewers offense picks him up. We have Keston here is now hitting bombs. He had a great debut and then cooled off for a while. He's now got a couple home runs in a couple of days. He had one on Sunday. He launched one again today. Keston here making his case to stay up here even when Travis Shaw comes back healthy and and, and, and makes a case and, and makes a run back at the, the starting lineup and into the batting order. Keston here saying, man, I, I'm not just laying down bunts. I'm not just hitting pitches back off the pitcher's bicep. I can hit home runs. I can do a lot of things. Keston here making a case. And maybe most importantly of all, and it's become a given, but I think we need to stop and appreciate Yasmani Grandal and the way that that signing has worked out for the Brewers. Because in a year where Jesus Aguilar has dropped off, and Travis Shaw has dropped off, and been injured, and, and Ryan Braun's been hot in stretches, but but not so hot in others. And, and they miss Domingo Santana. They're trying to work in Ben Gamble. They're doing all these things. Yasmani Grandal has been all they could have asked for and more. Hitting for power. Hitting with runners in scoring position. Hitting wherever they ask him to in the starting lineup. Because he's been up. He's been down. He's been near the top. He's been 6th, 7th, right? Yasmani Grandal has been an awesome acquisition. And I think if a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, you'd have said, all right, 
great, Yasmani Grandal is going to hit some bombs. He's going to be versatile. He's going to hit near the top of the lineup, the bottom of the lineup. And, and on days where they need to score a lot of runs, like today, Brewers needed 11 runs. Well, they needed 10. They got 11 to win. Yasmani Grandal is going to come through. He'll have a two-run homer. There's a lot of instances like that with Grandal. He had a couple of three-run bombs on this last road stretch, right? If you'd have told me that a couple weeks, a couple months ago, I said, hey, worth every penny, worth every dollar they paid him. That's worked out very well for the Brewers. And I know we got concerns. I know we got issues with the pitching, with the bullpen, with the meat of that order. But but there are a lot of good things going for this Brewers team right now. And to sit at seven games over 500 and be able to, to say and to think, and, and I truly believe the Brewers outside of that hot start, like I said, have yet to play their best baseball. I think the Brewers are in a pretty good spot. And maybe it's a weird head-scratcher of a two-game series between the Reds, which included two games that could not be more different. Maybe that's what we needed to take a step back and say, hold on, if we, if we look at every game, we're going to give ourselves a headache. We're going to drive ourselves crazy. Let's take a step back tomorrow in an off day. Good opportunity to take a step back and, and maybe assess what we've seen up until this point. And there's some storylines, there's some players that I don't know if we necessarily expected. Brewers fans should consider, consider themselves lucky in that regard. I know they're not in first place in the division. I know they're not running away with it. I don't think anybody really expected that, but it certainly would be nice. You're in a pretty good spot. Seven games over, second place in the division. We'll take it. It's only May 22nd after all. Patience. Looking at the big picture. Well, we don't have the luxury of patience or, or, or looking at the future with the Milwaukee Bucks. They are in the midst of the Eastern Conference Finals. Every game is incredibly meaningful. Heck, heck every quarter, every possession at this point is meaningful. We don't have the luxury of looking at the big picture or being patient. The Bucks, well, they didn't have a luxury of really anything last night. They got cooked in Toronto. They lost 120-102. Let's talk about that game. Let's talk about everything that, that was at play between the players, between the coaching, between the strategy, and you know what? A rapper as well. We'll talk about that coming up in about a half hour. A lot of Bucks talk to come as the Eastern Conference Finals is now tied at two games apiece. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. Presented by Played Against Sports. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a good night. I'm still reeling from last night's Bucks loss. Look, I, I, I can deal with the Bucks losing in Toronto. Last night stung just a little bit more. 120-102. And now the series is tied at two games apiece. Very frustrating. It was, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to mince words. It, this thing was over. After the first three or four minutes, like, like Toronto had everything in control. They got whatever shot they wanted. They hit basically every shot they took. At least that's what it felt like, which is a mark that a team is playing really well and has a game in control. Obviously, nobody's going to make every shot, but last night it certainly felt that way. Daggers coming from Norman Powell, and now Sergi Baca is shooting well, and Marcus Saul is hitting threes, and Danny Green is hitting threes, and Kawhi really isn't even doing that much, but the Raptors as a whole are just clicking on all cylinders. Every pass is crisp. Every dribble drive is drawing an extra defender, breaking down the defense, and every shot seems as though it's falling. That's how last night felt for Toronto. And after the first three or four minutes, like I said, the Bucks were in catch-up mode. And in that way, it felt very similar to Game 3 and very similar to Game 2 as well. Game 3, not Game 2, excuse me. Where the Raptors would jump out to a lead, whether that was 9 points, 10 points, 12 points. The Bucs would go on a little bit of a run, pull within four, pull within three, maybe even pull within two, and then the Raptors would answer and stretch it back out again. And, and the analogy that I used on Monday 
was a, a track and field reference. I didn't play football. I didn't play basketball in high school. I ran track and field. I ran cross country. Uh, imagine you're running a mile. You're racing a mile around a, a, a track, and you're in second place. And the first place runner is right in front of you, and you're, and you're going to try to pass, right? You're going to make your move. Okay, hit a little burst of speed, maybe swing out into the second lane, you're ready to go around him, you're pulling close, you're pulling close, ready to do it, and then the lead runner gives a burst of speed and puts the gap on you. Okay, well now that 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 second place runner's gonna say, okay, not yet. All right, get back into my groove, draw closer, draw closer, draw closer, wait to make my move, go ahead and try to get around. That has been the situation. That's been such a great analogy for these last two Bucks-Raptors games because Toronto has been leading. They've been that first place runner and the Bucks have drawn closer, drawn closer. They've used all their energy They've used all their resilience to, to pull closer, to pull closer, to get right on the hip of that first place runner, the Raptors. And as soon as they think they're about to turn the corner and, and, and jump past and pull into first place, Toronto goes, whoop, and they hit him with a surge. They hit him with that burst of speed. And now all of a sudden the deficit is eight, nine, ten points once again. There was an instance last night where the, where the Bucks were down two. Ursan Ilyasova has a great look at a three, doesn't go. And then the Bucks surrender a, a, a 12 to nothing run and all that work. All that energy and effort and mental resilience used trying to draw closer, to draw near, to get ready to try to take the lead was wasted. And now the Bucks are down 13. Now the Bucks are down 12 again, and you got to start all over. It can be really tiring to watch. I use the word exhausting a lot on Monday. Last night's game was exhausting, but in a different way. It just felt deflating. It just felt frustrating. Middleton and Giannis both had good games. I'm not going to say Giannis was out of this world. He had 25 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Like, like that's a that's a pretty good game. He added 3 blocks. It was a pretty well-rounded game. It was not a stratospheric game. It was not a superstar-level game. But it was certainly better, to, better than 12, 13 points, whatever he had on Sunday night. Now, Chris Middleton bounced back in a huge way. He had 30 points. Hit 4 of 7 threes and shot 11 from 15. So not only did Chris Middleton put up big points, which we've seen from multiple players, it's how he did it. He was so efficient. And I was watching Chris Middleton last night, especially in the second, third quarter. It felt like every shot he took was going in. And Chris Middleton can do that sometimes. He can get so hot where it almost feels like like he's he's untouchable. He's just seething hot. Touches the ball and it's going in. He's that kind of shooter who can get that hot. He can also get that cold. And last night, the Bucks squandered what was a probably the best version of Middleton possible and possibly a version they're not going to get again in this series, maybe not in the rest of the playoffs because he was red hot. So Middleton, Giannis bounced back last night. The problem was their bench no-showed, okay? And, and, and on Monday, we were kind of playing with the discussion, playing with the takes that people had about Game 3, right? The Bucks played pretty poorly. They still went to double overtime, had lots of chances to win. And on Monday, I was hearing a lot of, look, the Bucks played horrible, right? The Bucks, the Bucks were terrible. They're not going to play that bad again. And they still took the Raptors to two overtimes. They're going to come back in game four and blow Toronto out. I didn't subscribe to that. I, I really didn't have a take. You can go back, WKTYsports.com, click on the podcast. You can go back and listen to Monday's show. I, I really didn't have a take. I, I'm just, I didn't feel great about it. I wasn't super frustrated. It was just a loss. Losses happen, Okay. I didn't subscribe to that whole moral victory. The Bucs can't play that bad again. They won't play that bad again. Well, what if Toronto plays better, right? What if the Bucs play better than they did on Sunday, but Toronto just plays that much better? Well, last night, that's kind of what happened. Middleton was great. Giannis was great. And it didn't really feel like it mattered. Because Toronto was just that much better. 
And when you say stuff like, well, the Bucks won't play that bad again. Okay, th- that's true. But you can't control how your opposition played. And on Sunday, the opposition, the Raptors, gave the Bucks three chances at the end of regulation and at the end of both overtimes to win that game. The Bucks didn't take it. And I know the Bucks played bad. And, and, and their level of play, their energy, their effort is under their control. And they can manipulate that going forward. And like I said, Giannis and Middleton were both better last night. But the Raptors took it to another level. And that's something the Bucks couldn't control on Sunday or last night. So this whole, the Bucks can't play that worse again. Okay, that might be true, but that doesn't factor in what Toronto's going to do. And to be honest, I didn't really subscribe to that whole, well, the Bucks can't play that bad again. Because I, I, I don't think the Bucks really played that bad. I thought Giannis and Middleton and Bledsoe played horribly. Uh, but you go back on, on, on Sunday, George Hill had 24 points. Malcolm Brogdon had 20. Their bench was great on Sunday. You get 48 points, or 44 points, excuse me, from two bench players. you got to take advantage of that. Because just like you can say, well, Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, they won't play that bad again. You could turn right around and say, well, you might not get 44 points from Brogdon and Hill again. And you know what? Last night they didn't. Both of those players took a huge step back. George Hill had five points. He didn't shoot that much. He only took three field goal attempts. Five points. I mean, pretty efficient, but but not incredibly impactful. Brogdon only had four points. He was bad. He was two of 11. Brogdon was was forcing. Brogdon was trying to make things happen. Just couldn't. So when you say, well, the Bucs can't play that bad again. Well, well, you're right. Giannis and Middleton didn't play that bad again. But what about the bench? The bench was great on Sunday. Brogdon and Hill were great on Sunday. And the Bucs couldn't win despite that. Last night, the starters improved, but you see the bench regress. That's why it's so difficult to define the Bucs played that bad. Well, in certain phases of the game, they did, but in others, they were great. And that's the reason they were there at the end of regulation and that they were there to force a second overtime. That's why that, that's why that take was crap on Monday. And I didn't come in feeling great because the Bucs, plain and simple, had a chance to win a game on the road if they just would have hit free throws. They wouldn't have been able to win. If they just would have cut down on a couple turnovers, they would have been able to win. If they were just a little bit cleaner and less sloppy in portions, they would have been able to win. If Bledsoe would have finished and not gotten crazy at the rim a couple of times, they would have been able to win. They didn't play great. But you can't just turn around and say, well, they, the Bucks played bad. Well, Toronto played their hand in that. And and their bench was great. There were great aspects of the game on Monday night. Might not have been the headline players, but but there were great takeaways from Sunday's game. And the Bucs didn't get it done. Last night, Toronto says, screw it, we're going to play out of our minds. I don't care what, what the Bucs do. And it wasn't nearly enough last night for the Bucks. Toronto's bench went hog wild and outscored the Bucks bench, which is something I never thought I'd see in this series, regardless of what the starters are doing, right? Man, oh man, oh man. So the series is tied 2-2, and, and Game 5 is... Get this, ready? Game 5 is going to be huge. Yes, I know, I was working on that, working on that take all night. Game 5 is... Man, Game 5 is important, right? And obviously, the winner of, of Game 5 tomorrow night will go up 3-2 to two in the series. But right now, it's a, it's a level playing field. Toronto's feeling great. Now, Milwaukee's not feeling great, but they have the advantage of home court. So the winner of this game is going to dictate not only where the series goes, 3-2 or, or 3-2 for Toronto, 3-2 for Milwaukee, but also the Bucks have a chance to squash the momentum of the Raptors. And Toronto has an opportunity to win three in a row and really put serious doubt into Milwaukee's mind and have a chance to close out at Toronto, which has been a house of horrors so far for the Bucks. 
Sunday's game was a huge wasted opportunity for the Bucks, And I know not everybody looked at it like that on Sunday night and on Monday morning, but they should have. You have an opportunity to go up three to nothing and to win a game on the road at the Scotiabank Arena, which is a very difficult place to play. Always selling out. The crowds are wild. You had an opportunity to win that game and you didn't. You let Toronto back in. And then last night, Toronto played out of their mind. Everybody was hitting shots. Everybody was contributing. The crowd was into it. Yeah, Giannis and Middleton bounced back, but your bench didn't show. So that whole, the Bucks played so bad on Sunday. Well, no, they, they parts of their team played bad, but their bench was spectacular. George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon were great. And the Bucks didn't do enough to, to steal that game that, that they had right in the palm of their hand. And now we're talking about a 2-2 series. This is where it gets good. Best two of three. The advantage for the Bucks is home court. They have two of the final three games at home. The advantage for the Raptors is they got all the momentum in the world right now. They're feeling great. They're feeling high and mighty like they could just run right through the Bucks and go on to the NBA Finals. So both of these teams have an advantage. Tomorrow night's game is going to be a tipping point of sorts. Tomorrow night's going to tell you a lot about where the rest of the series is going. Because if Toronto wins tomorrow night, look out. Because that momentum is built even bigger. Their confidence is even stronger. And now they go back to Toronto with a chance to close it out in six. A place where Milwaukee has just looked dysfunctional, to put it plainly, to put it politely, the last two games. I said last week in the Boston series, or not last week, but last series, in the Boston series, going into Boston, tied 1-1, I said, it doesn't matter when and where the Bucks win and lose, but they need to win two of the next three because you cannot go back to Boston facing elimination it's exactly the same here. The Bucks have now put themselves in a position where if they don't win tomorrow night, they go back to Toronto facing elimination. And I, look, I'm not saying the Bucks can't win there. And I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'm, I'm not putting down a whole lot of money that the Bucks would be able to win a game six in Toronto. Ooh, I don't think so. Tomorrow night's game is the biggest Bucks game of my life. I'm excited. It'll be here on WKTY. I want to continue talking about the Bucks. They have a problem. They have a point guard problem right now. Let's talk about Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, George Hill, and how these puzzle pieces might be manipulated, might be used differently by head coach, Coach Budenholzer, coming up tomorrow night as this series rolls on. More Bucks talk on the way. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM. 580 AM. You can always stream live on our mobile app as well and at WKTYsports.com. I'm your host, Grant Bills, today. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather today. My voice is, uh, <laughs> it's got to work out the last 24 hours. Last night's Brewer game was frustrating. Bucks game was more frustrating. Man, I didn't want to watch either of them. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I didn't watch the second half of the fourth quarter. I saved it until this morning when I rewatched the game because I just, I wanted to do something else. I, I'd been too frustrated. Last night, Bucks losing 121-02. And we've been talking about it. I, I didn't really buy into the whole take after Sunday that a lot of Bucks fans had, and that was the Bucks won't play that bad again. Man, they played the worst possible game they could. They still went to double overtime. Well, yeah, that's true. The starters did play pretty poorly, and that's fair. But George Hill, Malcolm Brodden combined for 44 points. Like, like, that's a big portion of your team. There were some things that went well for the Bucks on Sunday. They just couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't hit free throws. They couldn't stop turning the ball over, etc., etc. And they had three opportunities, overtime and two OTs, or a regulation and two OTs, rather, to win that game. They didn't do it, and then Toronto just plays out of their mind last night, and the Bucks 
pretty lethargic, especially in the second half. So here we sit with the series tied at 2-2. If you want to chime in, and I've been very rude today. I'm sorry I haven't invited you. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. And you can always give me a call or a text. You don't need to wait for an invite. Twitter is wide open always as well. At Keystroker Grant, that's my account. You can follow me there. And all of us at the station, you can find at WKTY. We talked during the Badgers season, I remember. This hit me last night. When the Badgers' offense was going poorly and it wasn't flowing, which was which was most of the season, I looked to Demetri Trice. I looked to Brad Davison because those are the point guards, right? Now, I, I know it's not a... It's a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison to football and to basketball, but your point guard is kind of the quarterback of the team, right? Offensive possessions start with the ball in their hand for the most part, at least in the half court. And defensive possessions in the half court, the first person to D up is typically the point guard. So possessions start and sometimes finish with the point guard. A lot flows through them. Communication, positioning, possessions on both ends of the floor start and begin with the point guard. Last night, the Bucks. well, the Bucks were horrible on defense. I don't want to talk about defense. I want to talk about offense. They were pretty poor on offense, too. Not a lot of scoring. Middleton was great, but a lot of it came through isolation ball. There were some assists as well. Uh, but the team last night, to put it into perspective, they only had 30 assists to Toronto's 32. Like there was, there was poor ball movement. It was a lot of isolation ball. Middleton getting some of those points at the free throw line. He was 4 of 5 from there, so uh, that was 26 of his 30 points. Middleton had to work last night. The offense wasn't clicking. There was a lot of standing around, a lot of waiting until the end of the shot clock. Offensive possessions start with a point guard. Now, they might ultimately not be the one to take the shot or the one to finish the possession with them with a the ball in their hand, but a lot of times, offensive possessions start, in the case of the Badgers, Demetri Trice, Brad Davison. One of them has the ball. And with the Bucks, Bledsoe, Brogdon, and George Hill. Uh, the Bucks have this luxury of three excellent point guards on their roster. They're all starting caliber, right? Maybe not on the Warriors, uh, maybe not on, on some other teams in the league, but on a, a good portion of the team's in the NBA, Bledsoe would be a starter. Brogdon would be a starter. Hill would be a starter. Much like we talked about the Brewers last year. They had a couple pitchers in that bullpen who could close on other teams. And that gives you a lot of flexibility to, to do some things that other teams just can't. It's it's the same with the Bucks. Budenholzer has the ability to play matchups. He has the ability to tweak and switch rotations based on which point guard suits the current need. The, the current situation, right? So last night, and this is... This is interesting. It's very telling. Eric Bledsoe only played 20 minutes. Starter minutes last night were 36 for Chris Middleton, 34 for Giannis. Eric Bledsoe only played 20. He's part of that quote-unquote big three, right? Eric Bledsoe played 20. Well, Malcolm Brogdon played 28, and George Hill played 27. And and Budenholzer's really not trying to hide his hand here. He staggered Bledsoe and Giannis all night long. Giannis and Bledsoe were hardly on the court at the same time. Now, Bledsoe's not a good shooter, so you don't have to defend him on the three-point line, which only clogs up the paint more for Giannis. They don't really play that well together, especially when other shooters aren't hitting shots, right? Bledsoe is athletic. He's quick. He's bouncy, right? Brogdon is is none of those things, really, although I'm not, not going to say he's not athletic, but he's methodical. He's smart. He's efficient. He takes clean shots. He hits free throws, gets open looks, very good finisher around the rim. We saw Bledsoe get a little hectic last night. George Hill's just a little bit of everything. He's not an amazing three-point shooter, but he'll get it done. He's not an amazing defender or rebounder, but he'll get it done. And he's a veteran who's who's been around longer than Bledsoe and Brogdon, right? All three point guards 
offer something different to this team, and it's going to be up to Coach Budenholzer to kind of make the puzzle pieces fit and make these players fit amongst themselves in the rotation to maximize uh, what they give you. The Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line is open 608-796-2558. We're talking Bucks. We're talking Game 4. Now tied 2-2. We look to Game 5 tomorrow night. Let's go to the Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line. Caller, you're on the air. Let's talk some Bucks. What's going on? Yeah, hi. How you doing? Uh, first time caller. Love long to hear time it. listener. You, you do yeah. a great job on the show. Thank you. Uh, two basketball questions. One Badgers, one Bucks. Yeah. How do you see the the Badgers doing if those uh, Hauser brothers from Marquette end up there? And the, the Buck question is, if they do now finally get through uh, Toronto, do you think they'd get swept by the Warriors? Now I'm going to list your spot. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for the call. Well, let's tackle the Badger question first. I'm, and I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know how they'd look with the Hausers. I don't know. Because the, the Badgers are going to look completely different next year. Let's Let's... Not start with the Housers. Let's start with the rest of the team. Ethan Happ is gone, and he was 90% of what they did on both ends of the floor. So this team is going to have to look completely different. They might play a little bit different style. They might play with different rotations. Brad Davison might be a completely different player. We really don't know. And if the Housers do transfer, I, and I don't want to be embarrassingly wrong, so I'll admit that I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 95% sure that they will be ineligible to play next year. And I was talking to Zach Heilprin. I was talking to some of our Badger quote-unquote insider, some of our Badger experts, and college rules can be really confusing, but I don't think the Housers can play next year if they transfer. Am, am I wrong about that? 99% sure, but I'm not, so I don't want to be, I don't want to be embarrassingly wrong. I will admit that I'm not 100% sure, but I think, I don't think the Housers can play next year. If the, if the Housers do go to Wisconsin, I love it because they are very talented, and the Badgers don't, in my opinion, have a lot of talented basketball players. They have a lot of hard workers. They have a lot of gritty players. They, in my opinion, are bereft of Talent. Now, some Badger purists, like Zach Heilprin, friend of the show, like Ebo, friend of the show, all from the zone in Madison, they would kill me for saying that, and I hope they are not listening. But I don't think it's a super talented team. You don't have those high-level recruits. So because of that, I, look, I think they'll be better automatically with the Housers because you'll have two players who are used to creating their own shot, who are, who are used to doing things on them, by themselves, right? And, and I, outside of Ethan Happ last year, I don't think the Badgers really had that player. I don't know how they'll look. Uh, but the Badgers, you can't make an argument. You cannot spin a scenario where the Badgers will be worse off with the Housers because talent wins you games, right? Talent is always better than no talent, and the Housers are exactly that. Now, your second question, and I, and I appreciate the call once again on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. If the if the Bucks do get through Toronto and they do go to the NBA Finals, do they get swept? Wow. Well, no, I, I no, I don't think. They'll get swept. Uh, well, we'll start there. How many games do they win? How competitive a series? Man, I don't know. Because KD coming back could change things. Golden State's going to have a really long layoff. They, sw- they swept Portland, so so that's going to change things. That's going to have an impact. I-, I do like the way the Bucks match up. They do have a lot of length, which is going to make Golden State easier to defend. Arms are higher in the air. Hands are higher up. They're just bigger, longer players, which gives the Golden State Warriors some problems. And if you look just at the last couple of years, and I know we're not talking postseason games, the Bucks have gone toe-to-toe and played some really good games with the Warriors. I don't know what it is, but they've always played them strong. No, I'll answer your question plainly. I don't think they're going to get swept. I think the Warriors will be and should be the favorites, but I I, I don't know. Bucks are going to have home court advantage, which I think is huge. The Bucks have raised some questions the last couple of days, though, like with 
Nikola Mirotic, who has been horrible. I saw a tweet last night during the third quarter that, that Mirotic had missed something like 27 of his last 35 three-point shots. And somehow that's kind of flown under the radar, right? Because Danny Green has been miserable. He hasn't been hitting threes, and I notice it. It jumps off the screen at me. But I think Mirotic hits a three every once in a while to just remind us, to just put that in our mind that he's a great three-point shooter, and, and he is. He's in a terrible slump right now. Nikola Mirotic last night at some point had missed like 27 to 35 threes uh, throughout the last couple of games. That's been a question. Eric Bledsoe and his effectiveness has now been called into question. And don't get me wrong, the Raptors have now put on tape and put on display one style of defense to slow down the Bucks, And that is, we're going to play a 1-2-2 zone. And contrary to what is normally done, we're not going to put our point guard at the top. We're not going to put Kyle Lowry. We're not even going to put Kawhi Leonard. We're going to put Pascal Siakam because he's long, because he can really bother some of those Bucks ball handlers. And when you run a 1-2-2 zone compared to a 2-3 zone or a 3-true, now you have three levels of defense. So that defense is going to extend even closer to half court. Combine that with the length of Pascal Siakam at the top of the key, who's in that one spot in the 1-2-2, there's no space to breathe. Now, I don't know if the Warriors are going to take that and, and put a carbon copy on it, should the Bucks make the finals, but there's certainly some examples, certainly some instances of how the Raptors have really defended the Bucks as a team effectively and Giannis individually, effectively, as well. And they've made Eric Bledsoe irrelevant. And getting back to our point guard conversation, Eric Bledsoe and and Giannis can't be on the court at the same time. Because Giannis isn't a great three-point shooter. Bledsoe isn't a great three-point shooter. Now, neither of them are Ben Simmons. But but Toronto can sag off both of those players. Now, instead of facing two players in the paint, or three, man, we'll leave Eric Bledsoe out at the perimeter, and we'll sink four into the paint. Yeah, good luck, Giannis. Coach Budenholzer last night, you didn't see a lot of Giannis and and Bledsoe on the court at the same time. And that's something that's going to continue. And we were talking about these point guards and in the way that Bud is going to have to organize them, arrange them. Who fits with who? Who plays well with who? And who is most effective with certain players around them? And I hope that over the last two games, although the Bucs weren't winning, they had a chance to see some things, to make some adjustments that they can put into effect tomorrow night when the series swings back to Milwaukee for Game 5, the Eastern Conference Finals. That game right here on WKTY. Make plans tomorrow night. Ted Davis, Justin Garcia, Dennis Krause, and the rest of the Bucks radio network. Now, this is something we got to talk about. Last night, I'm watching the game uh, at a friend's house with, with five or six other guys. And, and look, the mood wasn't great. I, I'm sure if you had a Bucks watch party, the mood wasn't great there either. And, and something kept jumping off to the screen, jumping off the screen, and, and that was Drake and everything that he was up to last night. Uh, the rapper who's from Toronto, I guess. I also work over on Z93. I mean, Drake Drake is Drake, right? Maybe if you're not familiar with Drake, you just saw him last night. Well, welcome, and I will now introduce you to Drake, right? The rapper, Canadian rapper who who's put out tons of music, right? Worth billions and billions of dollars. Sitting courtside making a scene. Uh, the reaction last night and this morning by Bucks fans, by Bucks media, by Bucks players and coaches, was, in my opinion, way over the top. I'm not here to talk about Drake. I'm here to laugh at those who are and just point out the absurdity of this whole situation. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Talk Bucks, talk Drake, talk this weird and just, to be quite honest, uncomfortable situation. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY.
Before we get back to the Bucks, I, I, I just want to throw this out there. Listening to Zach Heilprin and that Wisconsin Sports Zone update, listen to some of these answers with Aaron Rodgers in, in these press conferences. He sounds sounds energetic. He, he sounds entertained. He sounds happy. The other day, talking about Game of Thrones, cracking jokes about Matt LaFleur. Man, I don't know what that means for football. I don't know what that means for the upcoming season of the Green Bay Packers, but I can't imagine that's a bad thing. Something that's jumping out to me. We are not going to break down Aaron Rodgers' breakdown of the Game of Thrones finale. We only have an hour, uh, but if you haven't seen it, just Aaron Rodgers engaged. He's entertained. It sounded like he was talking to friends, like he was ranting to friends uh, in that press conference answer. So that's one thing that's jumped out to me. I know we haven't talked a ton of Packers, but I I don't know what it means for football, but it certainly can't be a bad thing. An engaged Aaron Rodgers uh, has got to be a good Aaron Rodgers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Uh, We got a couple of minutes left. I I I saw so much of this last night, and I'm not going to lie. Watching the Bucks game, the Bucks Raptors game, game four last night, I got pissed. I got frustrated watching Drake doing his thing. That doesn't mean he's not allowed to do it. That doesn't mean that he has no right to be a fan and jump up and down. It's his arena. It's the Raptors home court advantage. That's all that plays into it. Now, last night I was, I was like, what is he? Come on. Like, I didn't tweet about it. I wasn't motivated enough to go tweet about it. If you follow me at Keystroker Grant, you can go check that. And I didn't delete. I promise. I didn't I didn't tweet about Drake. I tweeted about the refs shamelessly a couple of times, but I didn't, I didn't tweet about Drake. And I really didn't want to hop on here today and talk about Drake. But today, Mike Budenholzer has talked about it. Like, there has been some comments made about, about Drake last night at, at the Bucks game. So I thought we'd at least mention it uh, on our way out the door. Now, today, this was first reported by Malika Andrews. Coach Budenholzer talking in a conference call about Drake, and this is the quote. Ready? Mike Budenholzer said, there's certainly no place for fans or whatever Drake is for the Raptors on the court. There's boundaries and lines for a reason. I don't think there's anything that's that's out of bounds right there. Coach Budenholzer, he's not talking about Drake's clapping, jumping up and down, yelling at players, waving at players. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Drake coming on the court, which he which he did last night, which is for any fan sitting courtside, whether it was Aaron Rodgers or whether it's just some millionaire from Brookfield who's in a Bucks game, like whether it's David Gruber or Hugh and Abraham, right? One of those two. You don't go on the court. Like you're not a coach. You're not a play. You like you don't do that, right? So Coach Budenholzer are not speaking to to Drake's antics so much outside of just going on the court, just being involved in the game because that's there is no. He says it literally. There is no place for fans on the court, which I which I think is factual. I don't think that's out of bounds. I don't think that's being petty. Now, he also cracked a joke uh, and suggested that maybe Christian Yelich could sit courtside and, and, and swing a bat around uh, and be part of the, the Bucks' home court advantage, right? Look, I, today, this morning, uh, a friend snapped me, texted me, and, and said, Grant, what did you think of Drake last night? And I think he knew that I was probably upset, that I was probably about to snap and get mad, and I didn't. I didn't take the bait. I said, I don't remember exactly what I said. It was along the lines of, hey, it's Drake can do what he wants. Like, I'm not... I'm not going to be petty. It's their home court advantage. It's Scotiabank Arena. It's what you play in when you go play games in Toronto. That's part of it. And that's part of the reason why the Bucks work so hard for home court advantage so they don't have to deal with that in games one, two, five, and seven, right? It makes sense. I'm not going to be petty. I'm not going to yell. When the Bucks go to Toronto, they have to deal with Drake. Like, if that's the worst thing you have to deal with, I think we're in pretty good shape. Interestingly enough, I got the push notification on my phone today from Bleacher Report, that one of Giannis's execs at his agency, so one of his agents, tweeted about it last night. And this is a little, this goes beyond, well, you can't have him on the court, right? Like, like Budenholzer is pretty matter-of-fact, 
pretty factual and like there's no place for him on the court, which is true, undisputable, can't argue it. And I don't think Mike Budenholzer talked about it any more than he really had to. Like I don't, he didn't go on some rant about how it was classless, how it was disrespectful, blah blah blah. Well, one of Giannis's agents did, and and he has a Greek name, so bear with me, please, as I try to pronounce this. Tweet from Georgios Dimitropoulos. Is that is that Greek? If we have any Greek listeners, I apologize. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. Say how to correctly pronounce it. But he tweeted, imagine a gig and an athlete on VIP seats right next to the band stands up on the stage just to show off during the entire game, knowing the cameras are on him, occasionally even massaging the singer. Drake gave Nick Nurse a, a soldier massage during the game last night. Security and him both allow it. Never seen anything as disrespectful as this before. Like, he's, he's got a point. It's not necessarily the most classy thing. It's not necessarily the most respectful thing. But this ain't golf, right? This ain't baseball. And I'm not going to be that old man, get off my lawn guy who hops on WKTY and starts yelling about how Drake needs to sit down and shut up and not yell at players. Because if I was sitting court, well, I don't know. If I was sitting courtside, would I yell at players? They're pretty big and, and strong. I'd like to think I'd talk a big game right now. But plot me courtside, it might be a little bit different. But man, he can afford the courtside seats. And if security, and if security guards and the refs are going to let him do what he's doing, why would he stop? Like, yeah, is it the most reverent thing? Is it the most respectful thing? No. Do I really care? No. If you want him to stop, make your free throws. If you want him to stop, stop turning the ball over. If you want him to stop, beat the Raptors. That's what it comes down to. I saw Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network and, and frequent guest here on the Wisco Sports Show. I saw him tweeting about it. So we're really going to get mad about Drake? We're really going to yell and, and, and piss and moan about this? Just beat the Raptors. This isn't a problem. And I follow along those lines more so than, well, classless display of selfish behavior. Right? How, how disrespectful to the pure game of basketball. Is nothing sacred? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy. It's frustrating as a Bucks fan. So I want to see my team win. And when they're losing, my frustration is only compounded by fake tan Drake being a clown on the sideline. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's frustrating, but I'm not going to use any more time other than right now uh, to simply just talk about this on my show because I'm not that guy. Oh, there's nothing sacred. Show some class. Man, if I had courtside seats and I could afford as much booze as I wanted, I don't know if I'd be classless, but I'd be having a good time. I'd be jumping around. I'd be getting wild for my team because they're at home and they're about to tie a series up in the playoffs. And they're playing to go to the finals. This is Eastern Conference Finals, after all. Would I be yelling at players? Probably not because I really don't have the clout Drake does, but something to think about. Game 5 tomorrow night here on WKTY. We'll talk about it first, the Wisco Sports Show, same time, same place. Tomorrow, talk about Game 5, talk about the weekend for the Brewers, and Packers OTAs are going down. A lot to cover tomorrow. I'll talk to you then.